Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. It's time for a year in review of 2023. Paul and I sit down and review headlines, facts, and figures from 2023, spark discussions about financial planning and investing. For example, how many fund managers invest in their own fund? Every situation is different, and these are general tips, but if you have questions about your specific situation, please reach out either by phone or email. My name is Garrett Smith, and we look forward to having you with us today. Well, welcome back. Here we go. This is an interesting topic today's. So we have a research partner that we really like, and they always put out some fascinating facts throughout the year. They quote different research reports and so we've kind of compiled a list of all of them together, and we're just kind of got to go through different areas, highlights, lowlights of 2023. Yeah, some of these are just really interesting. <laughs> so we'll just kind of go down our list here, and they're just fascinating. I think kind of the one to kick us off with, this number always surprises me every time I look at these, but it's basically how many fund managers actually have a dollar in their own fund. Well, that's the same one I picked right off the top, too. I mean, we call ourselves Ascend Investment Partners, and it's because we basically eat our own cooking here. If it's good enough for you, it's good enough for us. And we invest right alongside our clients and make changes at the same time, and all that kind of stuff. And the stat here is out of over 10,000 mutual funds and exchange-traded funds in the United States, it's right around half of them. The portfolio managers don't own any shares in the funds they manage. And that just is so bizarre to me. Yeah, it's almost 60%. Oh, yeah, it and is. That's 60. from Morningstar. I get that there's reasons why somebody may not own what they sell, but I can only think of one or two reasons, not 60% reasons. <laughs> well, put a few thousand dollars in. I mean, I can't think of any reason. <laughs> well, you know, if you're a really aggressive investor and you're running a really conservative short interest bond fund, maybe. But then you're outside your area of expertise. Right. right? And interest. I don't want to manage a conservative bond fund if I'm an aggressive investor. I want to be in the, the high flyers. Yeah. So, true. yeah. If you again, up, I cannot think of a reason. Okay, there you go. That's probably better. <laughs> yeah. If you can line up interests and current goals with each other, to us, that just is the no brainer. Yeah. It just makes the most sense. So that's why we like calling ourselves investment partners because we're in the boat with you. Yeah. This next one, I don't know if you had this one marked or not, but this one blew me away. It said the market cap of the entire U.S. stock market in 1990. So we're only talking about 30 years ago, which was just not very long ago <laughs> <laughs> when I was green in the business. The whole market cap, so the total value of all the stocks in this U.S. stock market was just under $3 trillion, $2.8 trillion. And today that's one company, Apple, is yeah. worth that. One company is worth what all of them were worth 35 years ago. Yeah, I pulled it up this morning. So we're recording this first part of December and it's a little over $3 trillion oh, now. Amazing. Cap. One company, entire US base over 30 years. It's just wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I think that just highlights most of the returns come from just a handful of stocks. Mm-hmm the really outsized returns. A lot of stocks produce a lot of average returns, which is 
good for a diversified portfolio. But man, when you get a good company that gets on a run, it's just unbelievable what they can do. Well, just think of what Apple did to change the world. I mean, they're so innovative and everybody has an iPhone and now you see watches everywhere and their infrastructure. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. Pretty incredible what they've been able to do. I highlighted this next one of the investment returns of Rolexes was higher than real estate, stock market, or even gold over a 10-year period from 2011 to 2021. I thought that was pretty interesting because you just never know. They're Rolexes. Obviously, niche market. You really can't put any significant I wonder if that's ones that are on people's wrists because, you know, you wear a watch and it kind of gets dinged up and stuff. I'm guessing those are the ones that somebody bought and just left in a glass case and then went to go sell it. Yeah. I don't know. Watches in my world. It's not. (laughs) It's not mine either. But there's always people run into it and it's easy to happen of like, I'm invested over here, but this random small subset of some obscure market, Mm -hmm. in this case, the watch market, it's just killing it. Why don't I own any watches? Well, (laughs) is it in your area of expertise? (laughs) Is it on your radar? I didn't have any idea that they went up in value like that. Right. Right. And I mean, you hear about art, you know, art and rare coins and stuff like that. Every once in a while you run into that, but I've never ran into, oh, let's invest in Rolexes because they're going to beat the returns. Well, and how often can you actually get your money out, right? Right. You can sell one watch. Can you sell a hundred? Can you sell a thousand? Right. Not knowing enough about the market. You can sell Apple at the push of a button and that makes a big difference in saving and investing. But I thought that was an interesting one. Yeah. Out of the 28,114 publicly listed U.S. companies... 25 best stocks have created nearly one-third of all the shareholder wealth. Put another way, 0.1% of stocks have added over $17.6 trillion to investors' wallets. The scale has totally changed investing over this last 15, 20 years. Yeah. Just kind of going back to the Apple comment, but the big outsized returns. And one thing that's great to see here is you can find those returns in public markets. A lot of people think you have to end up in private and more obscure markets to find these high rates of return. Well, if you owned only one company, (laughs) you have the potential to have those kind of outsized returns. You just got to pick the right company, which is extremely difficult to do. Yeah, that's the hard part. And the other downside of that is that it's, when you think about the S&P 500 index, 500 companies, there's basically seven or eight of them that have really dominated the performance of the index. And so- those companies now represent such a large portion of the S&P 500 index that the index has gotten significantly more risky than it used to be because it used to be a little bit more spread out and now it's a lot more concentrated. So there's pluses and minuses to that statistic for sure. And all of the big companies now have gone through periods of 50 to 90% declines. Yeah. Oftentimes when you have the conversation, if I want to take more risk, One of the places to get it is just heavy concentration. Can you afford to have 90% of your portfolio and still stay invested? Yeah. (laughs) Because they did come back. But man, that is a big swing. Had a couple here I thought that was interesting. We heard a lot of SPACs through 21. Now tell everybody what a SPAC is. So it's a special purpose vehicle. It's basically a way of pulling a private company public. You raise funds publicly and then you go find a private company to then buy back in. So you create a shell of a company. You go actually find the internals of a company in the private market and you bring it public via a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition company. And 70% of them, especially younger investors have this conversation of these were supposed to change the world. About 70% of them just returned 
the money to investors because they couldn't find anything worth doing. So they were all the rage two or three years ago. I mean, it was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think this one's interesting. This point here over the past 40 months. So this is all the way through August 31st. The SPAC market has gone from 25 billion all the way up to 200 billion and back to 25 billion. Yeah. So that's through loss, return of shares. There are some advantages. There are some specific reasons doing, but like any financial product, almost every financial product's a scalpel. They are for a specific and very unique approach. They're not necessarily to solve broad-based solutions. Well, early on, there was a couple that did really, really well. And right. so there was a dog pile in and then people realized, oh, it's not as broad-based as we had hoped. So that was on the SPAC side. The other one to highlight there was, there was a lot of worry about bank runs and rightfully so. And when we had First Republic, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank all go belly up on an inflation-adjusted basis, they had more assets in there than the 25 banks that collapsed in 2008. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And just to change the rules. Yep. And there's been a lot more bank concentration over the years because of the regulations that came out in 08, 09. And, and so that did drive a lot of worry earlier this year. But we walked through insurances that you have and things you can do to protect yourself. And I think that those banks going belly up showed the robustness actually of the financial system on the other side, in spite of how many assets they had. Yeah. So there's a couple things here on inflation that kind of grabbed my eye. Everybody's heard of Uber, so it's kind of a taxi service, but you can sign up to be an Uber driver. It says 70% of those who signed up to drive for Uber in February of 23 said that inflation was the factor in their decision. So people are short on coin because everything costs more and they're just looking for alternative ways to put a little more money in their pocket. The other thing I thought was interesting on this is Burger King joined McDonald's and Subway in removing tomatoes from their menus in India as food inflation adjusted. So they're just trying to cut costs. And so they just decided, you know what, we just can't afford to put tomatoes on these sandwiches in India because India has a big population and tomatoes are expensive and we're not going to do it anymore. Right. That's what inflation does. It just carves things up. Sometimes it's pretty obvious like that. Most of the time it's just really, really sneaky. Well, and I think that goes to show how companies can protect themselves against inflation. You know, you can reduce packaging size, reduce offerings, raise your price. You know, there are things that you can do as a company to protect your earnings. And at the end of the day, they all get passed on to the consumer, which then leads to inflation. Right. You know, it's kind of a cycle once you get in those that can be tough to squash, but you just never know where the inflation is going to hit. It's funny how to see these companies though. I mean, inflation comes along, they say, well, should we raise our price or should we shrink our box size? Right. You know, and they do both. And it's just sometimes they do shrink the box size and sometimes less servings and less weight in the box. And other times they have to raise the price. So it's just uh, terrible to have to deal with all the time. Yeah. Especially at the high rate that it's been happening. So on the personal finance side, I thought some of these were interesting. This one was encouraging. So at some point between the ages of 25 and 60, 73% of Americans will find themselves in the top 20% of income distribution. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting too. And what that tells you is that America is still a land of opportunity. People move up and down the income scale constantly in this country. It goes on that 40% of those people, so think about that, 40% of the people will end up in the top 5% at some, of, point, at some point in their life. And so 
you got a really good chance of hitting a spot where you're making really good money. And the important part of that, I think, is while you're making hay, just make sure you're making the most of it, saving, because maybe you won't stay there. I think that's one of the problems with a lot of business owners is they do really, really well and the business is great and they think it's going to go on forever and it doesn't and they didn't set aside as much as they should have while the iron was hot. They could have put more away and they didn't and there's some regrets there. So income in America looks like most people are going to have a really good chance to do pretty well over time. Well, and I think it also highlights too, usually that higher income comes later in your career. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at retiring early, maybe you're in that 40% in that last bit right before you retire. And so you have to be really, really cautious about, like you said, when you're making it well, there's higher trade-off costs making those changes. I, like you took that, that it was very, very encouraging as well as recognizing that there's high turnover too. If you're up there, it doesn't mean you'll stay up there. Obviously, that'd be the ideal, but things do turn over. And when you have it, be looking to save. That's why I always think about those words that we have on our website of plan, keep, and grow. The keeping side has to happen before the growing side. Yeah, for sure. You got to figure out how to take care of yourself, the family. You got to keep it while you can. For most people, before you take that outsized risk on the other side. Yeah. The other one I thought was interesting in personal finance is that you always hear the rich don't pay their fair share. Well, here's a stat from California that kind of refutes that. In California, personal income tax and their personal income taxes through the roof. I mean, they pay through the nose in California state taxes. 1% of the income earners were responsible for nearly 50% of the income tax paid that year in the state. So 1% paid 50% of the taxes. That's a pretty heavy lift. Yeah. From a state policy perspective, only takes 1% of the people to move. Yeah. And I think that's a problem they're probably having is the people who are leaving California are probably in that 1%, a lot of them saying, I'm done doing this. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but it is taxes are ongoing and always changing. But that one is, man, that is a concentration there. But on the other personal finance side is Americans paid $163.89 billion in credit card fees and interest up to that point. Yeah, I don't get that. $163 billion in just fees and interest. That's So that's I found obscene. a new one about, I just got an offer. Hadn't seen this one before. Oh, uh, credit card offer? So it was on my existing credit card, which I pay off monthly, everybody. Pay your credit <laughs> cards off monthly. But they gave me a promotional credit. So instead of paying the 25% that it normally is, it's 6.99 for the 12 months. Hmm. Well, now you start considering, well, do I borrow some money on this credit card? Right? Because it's only 6.99. HELOCs are 9%. Hey, and there's better than that. I know a guy that went in the restaurant business, literally went in the restaurant business, and he started it and funded it with 0% credit card. Interest. Mm -hmm. like he transferred transferred yeah. the balance to a 0% card, got it for a year. <laughs> but I think the point being is the goal is for you to get a balance on that card. Yes. That's what the company oh, yeah. wants. Right? Oh, yeah. We want you to just get used to carrying a balance here. because those And then we'll balance, nail you. Yeah. Because those that carry a balance <laughs> usually don't pay them off, you know, once you get in that cycle. So, yeah, get out of that cycle as soon as you can. 17 states guarantee personal finance course in public high schools. I do think that's a good thing. That is um, a good thing. You know, we need... More, more financial literacy, for sure. Most finance is basic arithmetic. And so if you just get a handle a little bit on the math and then understand the terminology, you're a lot way there. So if you can figure that out in middle school and high school, that's very beneficial. I don't know. This one here with China kind of bothered me. China's fertility rate 
the number average of babies a woman will have over their lifetime fell to 1.09 last year. And I don't think China's going to be as big and scary as they are right now, because that's a way to cut your population in less than half in one generation. And a growing population is much more stable than a falling population. So that's devastating, I thought. Yeah, that is. You never want to see falling birth rates. That's tough on not only economic side, but personal side. Yeah. I got to hit this one because everybody knows Costco's in our portfolio. We always talk about Costco all the time. (laughs) I got such a kick out of this. Half, half of the world's cashews are sold by Costco. That that is unbelievable. It's crazy. I mean, we get them there all the time. (laughs) I can't believe they buy half of the world's cashews. That That is crazy. That's the Wall Street Journal there. (laughs) That is unbelievable. That business model of Costco is just something else. Yeah, it is. Did you see they were selling gold bars not too long ago? No. I really want to know how much they ended up selling of those. Huh. But yeah, when gold kind of took a price dip, they issued little bars. Huh. And I guess they had a ton of signups. Really? At least that's what's reported. Interesting. Uh, Kind of interesting. I do think one that's interesting on this green transition that's always going through is still heavily subsidized. The vehicles Rivian sold in the first quarter for roughly $83,000. So they're an automaker manufacturer. On average, it cost them about $150,000 to manufacture. Oh, so that's the car company Rivian. And they're kind of like Tesla. They only sell electric cars. Electric cars. Yeah. They got like an SV and a truck. You and- could buy one for 83000 but it cost them 150 to build. That's a good recipe to go broke. Even I know that. Well, I do think with the zero interest rates that we've had over the last five, six years, I think that was one of the highest consumer benefits because consumption was all subsidized mm-hmm. through any of those food delivery apps or yeah. all the way through stock market trading was subsidized by venture capital dollars. You put it in, they immediately turned it to try to acquire clients. But once costs go up. Once you have to pay full freight, who's going to buy $153,000 Rivian? Right. I'm not. Yeah. And that's kind of going along everywhere. 17% of the world's gold is held by Indian retail consumers. I think this one is actually really interesting, looking at some reports of how much gold buying is happening outside of U.S., not necessarily hmm. inside the U.S. But that's just... That's kind of a poor country, too. That kind of surprises me. Yeah, from Apparently, gold's GDP important to them. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, 17%. More French people. So this was Bloomberg reported this one. More French people own crypto, 9% than stocks, 7%. Or ETS, exchange-traded funds, 2%. Anyway, there's... Folks... Let me just state for the record, you ought to own stocks before you start buying crypto. Please, please, please. (laughs) Well, this was another one here. Nearly half of mortgaged properties were considered equity rich in the second quarter. So this was this last year, meaning owners had at least 50% in home equity, according to Bloomberg. Nearly half of mortgage properties. Wow. So if you had debt on it, you're paying low interest rate and most people have 50% home equity in there. Most of that's due to that significant appreciation we've had in homes over the last five, six years, I'm guessing. I mean, they've gone up wild around here, and I guess that's pretty much across the country. There's been a lot of talk about 0809 recession homes, and the data just doesn't seem to be there to nearly the factor. The problem's going to come when people start feeling like they have to tap that home equity to keep up with inflation. That's when people need to be really careful about doing that. Well, why don't you, you know, you take out a 30-year loan paid off over 30 years and then you flip it over and you put a 30-year payoff back to you. 
Oh, what? I'm blank. Oh, reverse mortgage. Reverse mortgage. <laughs> so we mortgage it for 30 years, reverse mortgage for 30 years, you know? Yeah, even the young guys can have a brain cramp once in a while. That's okay. Uh, I'm on to sports now, unless you have anything else. No. There's a couple there. No. Super Bowl, second highest eating day for Americans after Thanksgiving. I yeah, I highlighted that when I try and do my part there, too. I feel like the second highest eating day starts from about Thanksgiving and ends about the Super Bowl time. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got to cut it off a little sooner than February, I guess. <laughs> Three months grazing. The average ticket cost for the past five Super Bowls was $6,214. Mm. The average. Yeah. So the good ones are really, really expensive. Yeah. And that's over the last five. I thought this was really interesting about the tickets for Yankee Stadium. In 1970, you could buy a ticket there. So this is inflation adjusted. So it was $26 in today's dollars, which means it was probably three or four bucks back then. But it's $26 in today's dollars. And the same ticket now costs $300. So sports are... Yeah, 2019. So sports are obviously super, super popular in the United States that they can just squeeze more and more money out of our pocket to watch sports. It's a big deal. Yeah. And I think that goes to show captured markets. There's only so many NBA players. There's only so many NFL players. There's only so many of these teams. And that kind of leads to price distortions when you, in essence, have a monopoly of sorts. And there are now more, this one was Reuters report, which I thought was interesting. There are now more NBA players with $30 million annual salaries than CEOs of S&P 500 companies who are guaranteed that much. So mm. basically just more players in the NBA make more than $30 million than there are CEOs of S&P 500 companies. Mm. That is the market dynamic. There's only so many people who are seven feet tall, right? Yeah. <laughs> just So anyway, salaries for players is... This one was know, pretty crazy. interesting for me too. The median salary of a major league baseball player in 1964 was just twice that of an employed male. So think back to 1964, you're a plumber, you're an electrician, you're an engineer, whatever. You say, well, I could go play ball and make twice as much as I am right now. And what a great life. You're playing ball for double the money. Well, now it's uh, 27 times that. So again, sports, pretty important in America. Yeah, unbelievable. So in 2018, betting restrictions were loosened. And up to the report in the Financial Times this year, Americans have bet $245 billion on sporting wow. events. And that's just since 2018. Wow. That is a area that so far hasn't slowed down. Unbelievable. Hmm. Hey, on a podcast note, I'm a big podcast listener, audiobook listener. It's where I get, you can pick up a lot <laughs> driving to and from places. Yeah, Garrett's got so he can, I think he listens to them on three times speed or something. <laughs> it all depends on the author, right? <laughs> Almost one in five people in the U.S. age 13 or older listen to a podcast daily. And that's doubled since 2018. I guess I need to get with the times. Well, if you start to look at the amount of people that read versus the amount of people that listen to things, it's starting to drastically change. Hmm. And I do think there's some psychology to that. People like hearing voices. We talk at a little more similar pace mm -hmm. of how you can assimilate information. And Well, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but the ones I do, I definitely have to increase the speed because your mind can take in the information right. a lot faster than normal. You know, I hope all you people that are listening to this have us on at least one and a half speed. We're just two chipmunks <laughs> getting away right now. And then when you hear us in real life, we sound so slow. Right? Uh, so that was at the start of the year. 
So at the start of 2023, over 50% of the Disney Plus subscriber were adults without kids. I think that's revealing in some of the, obviously we have Disney Plus because we have kids. Man, the amount of content, videos that are made for not kids mm -hmm. is, is surprising. Right. <laughs> well, all the Star Wars stuff is interesting for adults. And right. There's just a ton there. So that's pretty fascinating. On average, U.S. cities with over 1 million people, 22% of the land in the city center is used for parking. Hmm. It's basically a quarter of all our cities wow. is parking. Oh, man. And you still can't find a place to and park. you still can't find a place to park. <laughs> and that's only in big cities. Yeah, that's... I thought this one was interesting. Between 1975, and this is the Cato Institute, between 1975 and 2022, the number of products in an average U.S. supermarket has increased by more than threefold. In 1975, they averaged about 9,000 products. Now there's 31,000. Yeah, we just have a lot more choice. Yeah. It's tough to get shelf space nowadays, I guess. That's when I'd like to go down the road because a lot of companies sell the same product under different labels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it could be the same company. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> no, but you go into a Walmart right now and it's just unbelievable. Oh, man. Yeah. I always think about what would I take my great grandpa into a Walmart? What that conversation would be. Yeah. Be unbelievable. This one was actually really surprising to me. Percentage of 16-year-olds with a driver's license, this is the Washington Post, has declined from 43%, which I thought was low, and that was in 1997, down to 25% in 2020. So apparently only 25% of the 16-year-olds have a driver's license now, which is good for those of us who are mature drivers. We hate kids on the road because they get in the most wrecks, but... And I could not wait to get my driver's license when I was a kid. That was like my high priority. Yeah, I'd like to see that divided between cities over a million people and everybody else. Well, you know? that's true. You know, I you know, if you can get around, way. if you can get around on the bus or right. train or whatever, I guess why drive? Especially in a chaotic city. Yeah. I wouldn't want to learn to drive in New York. That'd be scary. Yeah, having driven many times in New York, I would not recommend it. It is not very enjoyable. Yeah, but I think the, this is the last one I had highlighted. At its peak, the Apollo program was consuming 60%. So this is the space program, getting people to the moon, all that. 60% of all the chips manufactured in the United States. Wow. That's just... Wow. You know, what a program. 60%. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's interesting stuff. I hope you enjoyed something about that. So, Well, I think it just goes to highlight that there's a lot of ways to invest. There's a lot of ways to lose money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But there's a lot of good out there, too. Yeah. There's a lot of amazing things that are happening in spite of, you know, fear sells. You see fear all the time on TV and in the newspapers because that's what gets you coming back. And I think it's easy to just get stuck on fear. We use this kind of information to watch trends and what's potentially coming down the pie and the direction of things. And so it's just all adds into the filter of our decision making. So, yeah. Well, if you want to look at any of these, reach out. We're happy to send you the list and you can check on all the sources and go through those. But like always, if you have any questions about your specific situation, you're always welcome to give us a call. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at ascendinvestment.com where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman & Ride, LLC, DBA, Ascend Investment Partners is a registered investment advisor. 
Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.